0: Pastor Dave saved me from the high technology here, so I was breathing into the, the microphone. I'm not all up on all the high-tech stuff. It's wonderful to be able to share with you again this morning. Um, I guess when, I, when Rex asked me to serve, I see it as an opportunity to use a technical church word as a lay minister. Um, churches use the terminology lay ministry, where just people from the congregation, can serve in different types of ministry. And many of you are probably lay ministers and don't even realize it because uh, you're involved with youth. You, you maybe visit people who are uh, in the hospital or, or shut in. You take food to people who are in need. You know, we're all performing lay ministry. And that, that's a wonderful thing. At our last elders meeting, we were talking about uh, our baptismal service that we had out at Gipes Pond. And and what a wonderful experience it was, uh, the whole service, and at the final where we we went to serve communion, we actually ran out of communion service—the juice and the bread. We actually had to go back and and prepare more because there were so many that were there that day that wanted to partake in the Lord's supper as as a family in our church body. That that is a wonderful thing, and I look back at that, and I think, boy, that's probably how the disciples felt when when Jesus gave them this basket of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and said, we're going to feed these 5,000 people. And we're probably wondering, how are we going to do this? Because this is impossible. But, but God knows, and, and He provides. And, and that day, I'm pretty sure everyone got to partake in the Lord's Supper. I know I ran back out to to people I thought that I had missed, and they had already been picked up by someone else, and everyone had been served. But but it was, it was a, a day of great blessings. And I, I really think that there's some really wonderful things going on here at True North. We're, we're baptizing people, new believers. We're, we're, we're discipling, we're making new disciples. We're adding to the numbers of the body. We're planting seeds of, of, of the word of Christ and, and souls and, and people that we know, they may not be here today, but in our lives, in our workplaces, our schools, wherever we go during the week, Hopefully, we're planting the seed of the truth of Christ. Uh, This morning, I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to read from chapter 6. And just to give you a brief overview, Deuteronomy is one of those Old Testament books. You know, it seems kind of dry. It doesn't seem as exciting and and interesting as, as New Testament. But to kind of give you an idea, just a little bit of background that the book of Deuteronomy was written in the last the last very part of, of Moses life you know he had been a great servant of God he had led the people out of Egypt and up to the promised land he didn't get to enter into the promised land but but he led them up to the point where they were going to enter and his purpose was to encourage the Israelites and and to leave them with a warning so today I'd like to lean a little bit more on encourage and maybe just a little bit of, of warning, and I guess warning is a little bit of a strong word, but, but hopefully to, to instruct you, to, to leave you with something today that, that, uh, that we can take out into the world. And that, now, at the point here where, where Moses is sharing these, these verses from the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites had just left the wilderness. They had been wandering around. They were lost. And... They weren't real comfortable. They hadn't yet made it to their homeland that God had promised. They, they, they were close, but they weren't quite there. And they'd been at it a long time. And I'm sure they needed a little bit of encouragement, and they probably needed a little bit of warning. They were probably getting, you know, like anyone would. Like if you're children, you take a long trip, you know. When we go to Minnesota, it's like 12 hours. I remember when the kids were little, you know, two hours into the trip. Are we there yet? How much longer? Well, we got about 10 more hours to go. And then they'd start getting restless and, and start causing problems. And, and my children back then would need a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of warning to, to be patient, that we were going to, to reach our destination, but it was going to take time. But if you'd like, let's turn to Deuteronomy 6. We won't read the entire chapter. But not that the part that we leave out, it's not that it's import, not important, but just that I think that the rest of the verses pertain better to what we want to talk about today. Chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. By keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey. So that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly. In a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And on your gates. And before we progress, I'd like to just take a moment and, and give you a little bit of, of uh, Jewish history, I guess, here. Uh, when, it, when the verses say, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, um, we don't have many uh, Orthodox Jews here in, in uh, Wauseon. There may be a few in Toledo, but I know I've never been to New York City, but I've been like to Chicago. You see... Uh, more commonly, Orthodox Jews in, in large cities where they're, where they're, whatever reason, that's where they settled. But but quite commonly, uh, if you see Orthodox Jews all the time, they'll have a, a black, broad-brimmed hat, and the curls, their hair will be curled, kind of funny, down the side of their cheeks. They look very very different, you know, not like we wear our hair. They, they dress differently and things. But uh, sometimes, I remember from... Uh, from college, our, our Old, Old Testament professor, Dr. Wes Gehrig at Taylor University in Fort Wayne, he was very knowledgeable about these things and these customs and, and why Jews wore these things and, and why they curled their hair and all this and that. But when it says, you know, that to tie these, you know, on your the symbols on your hands and tie them on your foreheads, But talking about these Orthodox Jews, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I should have had an image to share with you this morning. But a lot of times you'll see it looks like a unicorn or something. They'll have this little box strapped to their forehead. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. You may have seen pictures or you've seen an Orthodox Jew that that actually had it. Sometimes they'll take this little box, they'll strap it to their arm. But but the interesting thing about this little box is that it contains four pieces of parchment. It, it, the, and, and what is written on this parchment, this parchment is special paper. It, it's, it's, you, it's written, the words that are on this parchment are written with special ink. It's not just an ink, a big pen that they pick up at Walmart. You know, it, it, it's a special ink that the Jews have. Okay, so written on this parchment of paper are four scriptures, and you can write these down if you'd like, but, but these four scriptures actually almost say the exact same thing as what we're reading here in Deuteronomy. The first one is Exodus chapter 13, verse 2 through 10. The next one is Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. The text we're reading today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, and Deuteronomy 11 18 through 21. This, this box that they wear on top of their head is called a teflon. Uh, the Hebrews have different names for it. You know, I don't speak Hebrew, but, but for your information, that's what they call it. And these four scriptures are written on this parchment. And when, when Moses said to tie this to your forehead, they tied this to their forehead as a reminder as a constant reminder. You see, the, the, the paper and the ink don't really matter. It did to the Jews because they wanted to use um, things that were prepared properly, just like their food. They didn't want to eat unclean food. They didn't want to defile themselves. They were very, very strict about using only things that that God had approved, would you say? So, having these four scriptures on this, this God-approved paper and, and God-approved ink that it was written with and the words. The words, the gist of the words, if you read these four scriptures, basically come down to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all of your being. And what a special thing, but to, to be commanded to, to keep that close to your mind. Close to your heart all the time. As Christians, you know, we aren't into the, the material things like the Jews would. You know, we don't wear the curled hair and, and have the tough tied to our foreheads, but, but we have God's Word as a Christian written on our heart. We carry it around in our heart and our mind. As believers, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're reminded daily. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. So just a little bit of background there when, to, for those verses that we've read so far. We're going to go down to, to verse 13 and read to the end of chapter 6. And like I say, the parts that we're skipping over, it's not that they're not important. It's just that it doesn't pertain to the, to the message. I think it fits in better. Verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. And take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you. And he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. And let me pause here when he talks about don't test the Lord at Massa. It was when they, the Israelites were wandering and they didn't have any water. And they, they cried out, you know, is God going to provide us water or not? You know, they, they, were, they had an anger moment there with God, and, and they tested God. So, Massah, the, the root word of that in the Hebrew, the way it translates back is they, they quarreled. They quarreled with God. That's what they were talking about there. So, verse 17, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Though it may go well, and you may go in and take the good land, the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, Before our eyes, the Lord set signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, as a Christian, I'm really thankful that we, don't have, we aren't bound by all the laws that the, that the Jews were at that time, because it was very difficult. Everything that they did, you know, was prescribed. Um, one that, that I like to think of is with, uh, with farming. You know, every, I believe it was the, every seventh year, they were commanded to let the land lay fallow. And, and there were just, you know, so many different laws that they had to follow and uh, the preparation of their food and the way they, they uh, slaughtered their animals, everything. Everything had, a, had a, t- you know, a, a list of stipulations to follow along. But you see, I see here in, in these verses, it kind of relates to us today. When he said, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see, I see that as Christians today, that we we were slaves to our sin. We were slaves to the world. And God, through the work of His Son on the cross, He, He freed us. He freed us. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to the world. We're no longer slaves to our sin. There's a promise. We can have freedom. If we follow God's hand... Will be led out and into the promised land. For the Jews, the promised land was, was that land that, that Moses was leading them to, the land of milk and honey. For me and you, the promised land is the life after this, our eternal life in heaven with God the Father. That is our milk and honey, our land of milk and honey. That is our promised land. That is where God is leading us. Jesus said, You know, who? In John 3, 16, whoever, whoever so believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. That is an oath that we have from God. That is an oath that he is, he is holding up to this day, that he promises to you. He promises to your children. He promises, promises this to your ancestors to come, just as he did the Jews in this day here, as they were leading into the promised land and getting close, and they could see it. And he was telling them what it was going to be like. And they were preparing themselves for it. But before they got there, they had to make sure they were living right. Right? They had to make sure that, that they were, their hearts were in the right place. So it told them here, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And I can't help, I love these verses because... You know, it, it talks so much to how we should live as Christians today. You know, the Jews, like I say, they had all these laws that they followed. And if they followed all these laws, they, they were living accordingly and, and rightly with God. But you see, as Christians, we don't have all these laws. We've been freed from that through the work of Christ. But our commandment is to bring glory to God through our lives. We are to live a life holy and pleasing to God. And there, there's a few ways that we can do this. And and we're going to talk about this. But, but one of them is, you know, what it says here, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I I read, you know, some commentaries on this verse, and it says, you know, that as Christians and as Christian parents, we don't don't want to be preachy to our kids. You know, we don't want to be constantly telling them, you know, you shouldn't do that because of this, 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 and this. But rather to live, just, just to live, live your life in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. Talk about it. Live it daily. And I like when it says, you know, to write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When I think of the world today, I, I see the world. You know, we meet here once a week as a church family. And, and we go back out into the world in our jobs and careers and, and wherever it is that we may go throughout the week. And it just seems like, you know, when we're here, we're in a safe place. We're with fellow believers. We don't have to risk being ridiculed for our beliefs. We're all here because we believe in, in, in the Bible, in God, the Father, the Son, and we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We, we have a common goal here. When we leave this place, we go out into a world that is mostly non-believing. We'd like to think that everybody believes the way that we do, that they live according to God's law, but we know that's not true. You know, just this week there were almost, were there 10 people or 8 people that were killed in Oregon at a college? And, and the shooter obviously was a man of a crazed mind but he was asking people, you know, what, what is your religion? And if, if, as I understand the news, is that if they said they were Christian they, they were, he would told them something about, well you're ready to meet your maker and shot him in the head or something, something terrible. It's just an example of how the world does not believe the way that we believe. And we're we're together, we're a family, we're like-minded. But when we leave here, we go back into our world, we should have a safe place, right? Our homes should be our safe place. Our homes should be a place that we can live where our families know that, that, that this family serves the Lord. You know, we should have it as, as the verse here. You know, you should, you should write these on, on, your, on the, your door, your gate, as you enter into your home. All that come to your home, whether you're, you're, you, yourself, your wife, your children, should know that when they enter that home, this is a home that serves the Lord. The world has no place. When you enter my door of my home, when you enter the door of your home, you should proclaim that the world has no place inside there. God is glorified in your home. Don't be afraid to proclaim that in prayer. Live that. Teach your children. Keep yourself, your heart straight and, and on the narrow here and, and in God's word. Live your, your life holy and pleasing to God. Now, if, if, if anyone's perfected that and never makes a mistake, please let me know how you do it because I'm not perfect and I know none of you are perfect and we're all going to, to fail. But we need to try so hard to keep our homes pure and keep them as a safe place out there in the world when we're not together as a church family. You see, I, I, I see so many times that, that Christians were, were, were hit at all sides by things in the world that, that tempt us and, and pull us away. And it's just very, very difficult for us to stay grounded in the Word of, the, the word of God and to make sure that everything that we're doing Is bringing glory to God. There's so many things. There's so many things in the world just coming at us. And and often I think as Christians, and maybe new Christians, old Christians, experienced Christians, we we always ask the question: Well, you know, if I do this, you know, would that be a sin? A a famous preacher, I don't know if you've ever read a John Piper's books, but, but he likes to ask. He likes to pose this question. You know, we ask ourselves. If, if I do this, is, is this sinning? Would this be a sin if, if I went to this place or if I said this thing, would that be considered a sin? But, but he said something very interesting, and, and I'd like to challenge you with it today, is rather than asking if I do this or say this or do there, go there or whatever, would that be a sin? Instead of saying that, ask yourself, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, the place I'm about to go. If I do that, would that be holy and pleasing to God? Think about that the next time. You know, it's something that, in the verse here, we need to keep that close to our mind and close to our heart. Live your life asking yourself, is this something that would be holy and pleasing to God? You see, a few years ago, a number of years ago now, a man wrote a book, a famous preacher, and he sold millions of copies of this book, and, and many people read it, and it, it was a wonderful book, don't get me wrong, A Purpose-Driven Life. Everybody wants to know, what, what, is, what is my purpose? What is my purpose in life? Well, I can, I can tell you in a nutshell that your purpose in life is the way that God created humanity was to bring glory to Him, to glorify God. Your purpose in life, whether you're a teacher, a farmer, a mechanic, retiree, an athlete, whatever, whatever you do, do it the best that you can do. And, and, and worship God and, 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 and read His Word and be filled with His Holy Spirit and be an example of Christ in the world. Be the best that you can be at what you are. And in your mind and in your heart, know that you're doing it to glorify God. You know, I, I heard someone mention in a story that, uh, that athletes, like training for the Olympics, that sometimes, uh, for example, a person that, that's running a race, say the 100-meter dash, they, they, pr- they start perhaps when they're six years old and every day of their life, they run this 100-meter 100, 100 length to prepare themselves someday when they'll be qualified to participate in the Olympics. Every day, multiple times a day, they'll run the same distance preparing themselves over and over and over again. And, and that, that's great. And hopefully that person, if, if he's a Christian, he, he's doing it you know, glorifying God while he's doing it. But, but wouldn't it be incredible? Can you imagine the voice that Christianity, that Christians would have today and the example that they could bestow on the world? If, if we spent that much time and energy improving our faith, improving our relationship with God, if we practiced every day glorifying God, how can I better bring glory to God? If you'd like, we can turn over to First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twenty-three, and we'll read something there. I'll give you a moment to turn there. But First Corinthians ten, verse twenty-three, starting there. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So it gets a little wordy there, but but what he's trying to say is, is, even in the most menial tasks, do it in a way that brings glory to God. I was reading something, uh, another pastor, uh, Paul Washer, and he, he was talking about, you know, when was the last time you went to your sink and, and you took a glass and you were really, really thirsty and you drew yourself a glass of cold, clean, fresh water? And there's that feeling when you're really, really parched and you get that fresh, clean, cold water hits your throat and replenishes you. There's that feeling, like, wow, this is really good. When was, the last, Paul Washer says, when was the last time when you had that experience that you said, you know, not maybe out loud or in your heart, but God, I thank you for that fresh water. Thank you for, for replenishing me. You know, this time of year, the, the autumn is my favorite time of season, but we have beautiful sunsets. You know, almost every night. There's this beautiful sunset in the western sky. And I can't help but, but think, you know, wow, what, what a wonderful God to, to make such a beautiful sunset. Now, when I was talking about, you know, like uh, raising up your children and not being preachy to them, but, but teaching them of, of how to love God with all your heart and all your mind. When you take that drink of water, and it's, it's so refreshing You know, make it known that, you know, I'm thanking God because he he blessed me with this fresh water. When you see that beautiful sunset and you're with your family, you know, talk about it as a family. Like, you know, you know, kids, this this is a beautiful sunset. You know, look what God has provided for us to look at tonight. This is beautiful. Here, a week or so ago, was it the evening when there was a a blood moon and, and the eclipse? I didn't stay up for the eclipse, but I remember, like, at 10 o'clock, I was looking out our window with one of my daughters, and uh, it, was, it was pretty cloudy that night, but the moon was so big and bright, and I don't know if any of you caught it, but there were times when the clouds were, were moving, and they'd kind of break open a little bit, and then the moon would just come shining through, and it was just beautiful, it was beautiful. And I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I took, I can't even remember, if I but I should have if I didn't take that to me. You know, look at, look at what a beautiful view God has given us tonight. This, this beautiful moon that he's created to shine on our world tonight. Look at this beautiful, beautiful view. And, and little ways like that. The way that husbands and wives, the way that you treat each other. You know, treat each other with love and respect. Show love and respect to others. That That is how we bring glory to God. When we live the way that He has prescribed us to live. And in and, and doing so, you're, you're fulfilling your purpose in life. And I just, to, to leave you through you know, that we always wonder, you know, there's so many things in the world, and we all get caught up in, in trivial pursuits and, and things, you know, like, like mine. You know, I, I enjoy old tractors. I enjoy collecting farm toys. You know, that, that's been my thing since I was a child. That's something that stayed with me. And it's easy for me to get caught up into that and, and to let that take the front row in my life. But I have to remind myself that, you know, I can't let that be the driving force in my life. That has to take a back seat to God. Even something that I enjoy greatly, I enjoy eating, I enjoy food immensely, but I know that it has to take a back seat to God, that God has to be the driver of my life, whether it's sports or or art, or whatever it may be. You know, uh, to quote Paul Washer again, he quoted in one of, I quoted reading one of his sermons that, that he said that, you know, that man, we, we were not created to play video games. We were not created to sit in front of a television set. We were not created to be caught up in trivial things. God created us to advance his kingdom. Our, our job is, is to live a life holy and pleasing to God daily. Ask yourselves, and what I'm, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, is it holy and pleasing to God? If it's not, you need to stop yourself dead in your tracks, because you're, you're, you're getting off track there, and you're going to do something that's not going to bring glory to God. And, and you, you don't want to be there. You don't. You, don't. you may not fall off and, and, and see yourself. You may not be, you know, I'm not, not a Christian now because I sinned once. No. But, but if you do that daily, it's awful easy to get into that grind and that rut where pretty soon you find that everything you're doing isn't bringing glory to God. You don't want to get stuck in that rut. Trust me. If you'd like to turn with me over to Matthew eighteen. And like I say, I don't want to be too harsh on the warning thing, but I but I think it's it's worth speaking to and like I say, this this is how important it is. This this is from from this is red letters. This is this is from Jesus, okay? This is our warning. And Jesus said here in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come but woe to the person through whom they come. And he goes on, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, you should remove your hand and so forth. But I think the important point here that Jesus was trying to make that you don't want to be a person that causes someone else to stumble in their faith. You don't want to be a person that, that, that is a, to a non-believer looks to you and says, wow, if, if that's what a follower of Christ looks like, I don't want to be a follower of Christ. Now when Jesus said, you know, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, we're all little ones here in this verse. We believe in Him. So just take that as a warning from, from the red letters from Jesus Himself And and to realize the heavy burden that you have. So as you go about your day, again, just keep it close to your mind. Keep it close to your heart. And, And strive in everything that you do. Do it whatever it is that you do. Do it the best to your ability. And do it to the glory of God. Let's wrap up with a A prayer here, if you'll join me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this building that you provided for us to to meet together, to worship you, to to study your word, to meet to encourage one another, to catch up on each other's lives and, and to support one another. And most importantly, where we we can meet to glorify you in this dark world of gnashing teeth. Lord, we just ask that you'll watch over us this week until we come back again next week. That you'll go with us into our homes and help us to, to make our homes a place that glorifies you a place that our children will be taught your ways and and how to live a life pleasing to you. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the the people that are here today. We just ask that you'll be with those of us from our family that that aren't here with us today for whatever reason. We just ask that you lay a, a blessing on their heart to let them know that we're thinking of them today. Lord, we just thank you for all the different things that you're doing here in this church family. You're helping us to to make disciples and to baptize new believers and to to share your word with non-believers. Lord, we just thank you again in so many different ways. We ask this in your name.